Listeners, and welcome back to Get Off My World, a podcast about those of us who like the old series and tolerate the new one. <laughs> I'm Pat. Uh-oh. I'm Kelvin. I'm Joshua. And today we're joined by Janie Winterbauer and Christian Erickson of the band The Seva Team. Hello. Hello. Hi, how's it going? We, we already have a problem if you're only tolerant of the, <laughs> of the new series. I would say that's more of a, a shticky in, I know, intro I'm just, thing. I'm I wouldn't. It's a big, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, but yeah. It's a big tent. <laughs> well, uh, as our listeners know, we like to start each episode with something we like to call temporal grace. Uh, we can be a little bit spiky sometimes about the universe of Doctor Who, so we like to start on a note of positivity. Josh, do you feel <laughs> at all positive today? I do. I forced myself to be positive on the way here. <laughs> no, we're getting toward the end of 2016. I think we'll all agree. Not the best year. Uh, so I've decided not to waste any of the negativity I could really use next year. I'm going to save it. <laughs> save it up. And so I've started already. Uh, we already talked about the new series a little here in our intro to think about the positives about the next series of Doctor Who. So I am finally getting excited about seeing Peter Capaldi back on the screen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number of things I'm really looking forward to, including uh, Pearl Mackey. Uh, Missy is coming back, who I was kind of cynical of in her first appearance, but in the last season, the two-parter with the Daleks, I loved her. Then also, David Suchet is going to be in the new series. Yay. Oh, wow! Yes, oh. and I am a huge fan of David yeah, Suchet. Yeah, I've, I've, I've spent the last couple months watching Poirot. Yeah. Binge-watching, it's on, yeah, it's it on is 24-7 so good. And he's playing a character called The Landlord. And here's where you get into that nerdy kind of speculation. I know it's not true, but I hope he's like a Time Lord, and that's the name he's chosen for himself. <laughs> the Landlord. The Landlord. So let's see. You've got the Master, the Ronnie, the Landlord. Yeah. <laughs> the Monk. I, uh, yeah, I, the I monk. admit the yeah. first thing that, that leapt to my mind was that he'd be of like the same species as Sill for some reason. Oh, yeah, he could. Yeah. Be, From the he'd be like Doctor a, a Slumlord. He's like... <laughs> Janie, do you have a temporal grace you'd like to share? About how I'm feeling right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've had a lot of coffee today. (laughs) I'm very excited to be here. The sun is shining. And I can't wait for this year to be done with as well. (laughs) That's that's about as as, as emotional as I can get right now. (laughs) How about you, Kelvin? Recently, my parents... uh, decided to clean out their basement and they dug out some old books of mine. Most of them were like college textbooks that are fantastically useless now. I mean, I, I can't think of anything more stupid than a 30-year-old psychology textbook. <laughs> but but uh, pardon my rustling. Because I had to stick this in uh, a plastic bag because uh, it had gotten rather musty. It, it had clearly uh, been watered on... Uh, some over the years, but when I was a kid, I had this book called Monsters Who's Who, oh, and this wow. is, I think I mentioned this on like our third episode, this is literally where I first ran into Doctor Who stuff was through this book. For my, my it was for my 10th birthday, but... Well, and you can really smell this book, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, it, it is, it is <laughs> You open it up and it's goddamn like, hell. attic. But I, I, got, I got this for my 10th birthday, and this book had entries, some really strange, wow. uh, eccentric Choices of entries that had dinosaurs in it. I like it. that dinosaurs qualify also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fictional monsters. Random villains from the Marvel comic book universe. But it's also uh, Dalek, Cybermen, and Ice Warriors in it. For some reason. And I remember reading... Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah. There's Cybermen. Wow. Uh, on that page. Uh, this is great radio, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's the third Doctor with two Daleks. I mean, this is how old this is. This is like only... Um, third doctor era. this is how old wow. you are this is how old i am <laughs> yes. but i was just kind of amazed to see this again because it has like the strangest 
assortment of things. Like, things I have never heard of before, since, or anywhere else. Like, Sayo Arieth? <laughs> Which is, a, like, a, some kind of Welsh uh, folklore thing. I no idea. Well, that's why you need a monster guidebook. Right. Because <laughs> you can, if you encounter one of these, you can look yeah. it up. But this is where I first found out about Daleks and Doctor Who, and it was like, there's this British science fiction series called Doctor Who. That sounds amazing. Yeah, Carolyn Monroe. Oh, no. Yeah, there was a Carolyn Monroe picture in yeah. there, yes. This is uh, very uh, bizarre. What what sort of, like, how do you get the rights to Doctor Who and Doctor Incredible Hulk comics, yes. Doctor Who villains, Hammer films, Dark Shadows. No, this is. Oh no, that's uh, that, 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 this Mr. is the uh, Spencer Tracy, Doctor Jekyll, and Mister Hyde. There, those properties weren't worth billions. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That is true. Well, Christian, this is going to be tough for you to top. But uh, <laughs> I'll right. put the musty thing away. Breathing. Oh, let's see. You know, I'm a I'm an old school old school fan from way back, and also a new school fan from recent times. But, I mean, the level of involvement back then was just much, much, much higher. I mean, I was a super, super fan. The first fan club I joined was called Mini Unit. Oh, yeah. Um, and there was <laughs> I a actually group. know of them. Yes. Yeah, and a, a bunch of those folks are still around. I saw them at the console room. Mm-hmm. So we had a group called Mum Mini Unit Minstrels that used to make these videos <laughs> that were sort of spoof things, and we would play. This is too much information. But, <laughs> but, but let more. me just say, I'll just, I'll just say this. So what they did was um, the first one we did was a thing that um, intertwined uh, essentially like a Five Doctors style storyline with actually the the real life um, story of what was going on at the BBC. So I played Michael Grade, who was the bad, the main bad guy of, of this was. of this these videos, and I wore an eye patch. It was like, <laughs> it was like they did it up as if he was like a real villain, and the whole idea was like he's trying to cancel the show, and the characters are trying to save, and it was this supposed to be this kind of comic romp full of people that absolutely could not do. British accents and um, you know we, we were filming it literally at cable access so anyway so just I guess I would just say uh, this uh, week has been cool because then I just remembered all the how much I en- enjoyed the show and all like participating and stuff like that it was cool uh, well mine's gonna be a little anticlimactic after, after these but that's what uh, we've come to expect from you <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to share a, uh, a short article that I uh, found at radiotimes.com about the scientists in the NASA Mars Simulation Unit, mm-hmm. uh, they built, you know, a year-long isolation dome that would simulate uh, astronauts being on Mars. Well, apparently they got a little bit bored and they painted one of their interior doorways to look like a TARDIS. <laughs> you can see in the, uh, wow. well, we'll link to this in the show notes. Yeah. I just thought, oh, that's charming. You no know, way. it's, it's uh, such a culturally broad thing now yeah. that uh, nerds in an isolation dome preparing to go to Mars <laughs> will paint their door to look like a TARDIS. There's a connection between nerddom and isolation that <laughs> should always saying, be Josh? celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> and now round two, and we have guests, which means it's time for the Mind Probe. Not, Not the, the mind, mind probe. probe. Yes, the, the mind, mind probe. probe. Oh, it always makes us so happy. <laughs> well, first, could you guys tell us a little bit about uh, the history of Sevateam and your nerddom? And where does you, that name come from? I've never heard of it. Sevateam. <laughs> oh, exactly. We actually met playing in a band together. Um, the band was called Astronaut Wife, um, and also it was a it was kind of an electronic pop band. I wrote the songs. You guys sang them. We, mm-hmm. we played a bunch of shows. But anyway, a lot of the songs that we did, maybe not surprisingly, were sort of sci-fi themed. Um, and so that was the thing we did, like, literally between about 99 and 2003. Then after we both had done a bunch of other things in between, just wanted to, like, start making, like, electronic pop music again. Since we happen to also live together, uh, we realized we could just, like, do this kind of stuff at home. Wouldn't necessarily have to be, like, a huge, you know, mm-hmm. big deal like it used to be. Um, and I just kind of wanted to get back to doing that kind of fun sort of stuff that relates to pop culture or just, like, quirky pop tunes. And, like, like every project, you need a name for it. So um, there's a guy in Chicago who had a bunch of different bands, and all his bands were named after Doctor Who things. Hmm. So, like, he had a band called Sablom Glitz, which I thought was the greatest <laughs> no, name for a band really ever. Is. Like, perfect, perfect. Yeah, so. Now it seems like Sablom Glitz was named after a band. It's a better I, name <laughs> for a band. I know, right? Mercenary. I mean, it's a perfect, perfect name. I just, basically, I pitched it to Janie. I was like, I was like, I just went digging back through the 
through my brain, through my mental catalog of like sort of sci-fi or pop culture references and landed on the Seva team, which was like a thing I'd kind of forgotten about. And, and I, I realized, didn't really know what it was. So I was like, 17? <laughs> what? 17? Is it 17? <laughs> well, that was the funny thing is because then, yeah, non-Doctor Who people, when we like put brought it to radio people or whatever, they, they didn't they couldn't figure out like what it was or what how you were supposed to say it or, or what. But... <laughs> Like Sabalom Glitz, it just sounds like the name of a band. <laughs> like yeah. it makes a really, really cool name. So anyway, so that's that was kind of how we we adopted it as the as the thing. Yeah, and a lot of the the lyrics that um, you write, I think, uh, are definitely uh, referential to <laughs> all kinds of crazy deep cut <laughs> episodes. That's true. Even love songs or, or just like pop tunes. Usually in my head, it starts with, I mean. Actually, some embarrassing references, frankly, because when we were in, when it. we were in, no, when we were in, um, this our, is the place for it. When we were in our old man astronaut wife, we had this song. Um, it was the one that actually like, got played a lot on local radio. The song was called Cape Canaveral, and it was supposed to be this love song between what you imply from the lyrics is like an astronaut and someone back home. And everybody really loved the song, and I, you know, always get still get compliments about it this day. But most pe- most people don't know that actually the inspiration for the song was the hokey movie um, Armageddon because I had just seen that movie like two weeks before um, with some co-workers and um, so anyway so it's, it's usually stuff like that like you'll listen to the song and be like oh this like seems so like beautiful and deep but like yeah it's actually because I saw this thing on Lost in Space and it was like you know made me think of this other thing yeah, yeah. so you can't always judge like what the root of a of an idea is, I guess. So. You've anticipated one of my questions, which was, I was, I was going to mention that many, uh, listening to Astronaut Wife uh, over the last couple of weeks, I noticed a lot of the songs are about relationship hopes, breakups, and disillusionments, and they're often couched in the science fiction imagery that uh, you've been discussing. But of course, a very literal-minded person could hear them as relationships between companions and the doctor. <laughs> And you've got songs called Where Will We Go and yep. Flying Saucer, Where Will You Take Me Tonight? Anywhere in the Universe. Anywhere in the Universe, which we're going to talk about, I think, a little bit more thoroughly mm-hmm. in a bit. But even a song like Pedestal, which is my personal favorite, by the way, uh, has the now that 1999 is gone. He's, she's disillusioned about, clearly, Paul McGann, right? He's <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and it's, yeah. But yeah, you brought up uh, Anywhere in the Universe. Let's talk about that song specifically. When we were in that band... I also had another stupid idea, which was I was obsessed with the episode Caves of Androzani, which I think we're going to talk about. And I had this idea of like, that thing is such an epic, tragic, amazing, like complicated story. God, that would make a really good like musical mm-hmm. <laughs> or like a rock opera. So I got this, I got this bug in my head, like, what would that be like? And so um, I actually wrote three songs, so I, I actually never really figured out how we would do it, whether it would be sort of like a musical play, or at one time we were thinking, well, we would just do it literally as a kind of rock opera thing where you'd use footage from the real show and just do the songs or, or whatever, <laughs> but but I got pretty deep into plotting what the songs would be and what they would be about. So Anywhere in the Universe was supposed to be like the intro song, the lyrics are really all about like, hey, you, you promised me you were going to take me someplace beautiful in the universe and but we've landed in this hellhole quarry basically <laughs> and so how can i with kind of, blowholes yeah so how can i how can i trust you um so when you when you hear the song like you'll, you'll kind of get um what that's about and we did two i had two other ones that i had written one was the scene where um Morgus becomes convinced that the president is trying yeah. to off him, and so he pushes him down the elevator shaft. Yeah. And so the song was called "It's Always Good to See You, Mr. President," <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like all about like, come on in, you know, have a drink, yeah. and then blah blah blah. But you know, but by the way, you're going to yeah. be dead in a couple minutes, and just you know, anyway. So it's supposed to be this kind of you like, know, huh. like, you like. Know, it, this might be a good time to revive that. Well, scene. I was just going to say, what yeah. once was like a nerdy, sweaty dream is really marketable <laughs> now. I actually have the lyrics for that one. And then the other one was this idea of like Android Rebels and what kind of music would like Android Rebels make. Um, and actually later, I feel like Daft Punk kind of did that with like Robot Rock and stuff like that. It was kind of in the vibe of like what you would what you would sort of try and do. So so anyway, so I had these three songs in this like big vision. And then, um, of course, nothing like that ever 
Anything we, that we anything do that a involves... sad lava monster ballad. If you finish this, because oh. <laughs> sad lava <laughs> monster, he needs more of a voice. I think in this, I think so. That thing, that's yeah. really good. Underrepresented constituency. Yeah. <laughs> if it just went, <laughs> it's like like Chewbacca singing, yeah. you know, like show tunes or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so none of that obviously like got finished but i did finish this one song and you know we used to play it live it became one of our like sort of favorite things it was it was fun but it was actually an offshoot of a ill-conceived side project it's interesting too because you know back then uh we didn't really necessarily have access to a lot of the older stuff and i hadn't seen a lot of the older stuff so it wasn't until like maybe in the last five or six years that i even understood what the hell that song was about (laughs) you know That's what I think is interesting about like not knowing writers' intentions with stuff mm-hmm. because you first you're like you know you you bring to it like you said you bring your own interpretations to what what things are and then when you learn about that and even actually as we were watching that um, caves the other day watching the opening scene and remembering exactly like my own thought process on like how you know because the whole idea was this was supposed to be literally like Perry singing the song like Ooh. i was just envisioning like i can't imagine her singing this <laughs> song <laughs> no, she's with that now. with that with that accent and everything no but you know like like literally sort of like broadway show style wandering around the stage and blah 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 blah, blah. anyway that was my that was my that was my dream that somehow got crushed yeah it's probably my fault no <laughs> I will not rest easy until I hear that entire opera. <laughs> <laughs> we should get on that, I think. We I, might start a petition. Don't get mad. <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> called Androzani with an exclamation. You know, <laughs> you know, I I will. I swear to God, I yeah. will dig it. I will dig those. Lyrics. You can't see his face, but I think you lit a fire under him. <laughs> <laughs> because the president thing, a the mud un- fire. The, the, I'm gonna get, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, because there were so many. Like, like, sorry, I'm drifting off into the conversation about the episode itself but like the um there's just so many amazing characters and they represent these different you know so many different kinds of things so that you can you can do stuff like you don't that. understand we are on board there and I th- the I elevator mean, pitch was enough <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, uh, uh our listeners might want to know where they can hear your music uh i know you have a song on joseph scrimshaw's mm-hmm. Flawfest album yes. called um, No One Can See You When You Crouch. Yes. <laughs> About playing James Bond Golden Inspired. Yes. Inspired. So, that, so that's one place for sure. But where that's else can they hear your, your music? Uh, we have the Seva Team has a SoundCloud page, which is the hyphen Seva Team. And then our old band, Astronaut Wife, you can actually find almost anywhere because it actually got. Um, nationally distributed at one point so it's up on iTunes and you know things like that so that song we were just talking about is actually you can find it on Spotify and things like that and there's one album and an EP right correct correct yes yes and Seven Team has never done anything in any we just kind of release these one-offs either in the forms of songs or videos because there's not really as much point of putting out albums as there used to be but but maybe maybe we'll get there well it's hard to put something out not tour behind it Caves of Androzani rock opera, just saying. <laughs> hey, I'm on board. <laughs> we do have our traditional final yes. question, okay. which is, if you could cast in Doctor Who at any point between 1963 and today, any musician or rock star, who would it be, and what sort of part would they play, and you can't pick David Bowie? No. <laughs> it's already been picked, right? Okay. Too many times. Any musician. I think Robin Hitchcock would be a really great bad guy. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, Robin Hitchcock. Thank you for liking Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, he's my, he's oh. my musical hero. Oh god, that's I, like Gaines <laughs> Hitchcock fan number one. Oh, so. I yeah, he's he's he my might favorite. Be too, though. <laughs> and I, number two. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's always stunning to me when like I run you know, run into someone who's into Robin Hitchcock. It's like oh my god, someone actually knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of bad guy would Robin Hitchcock play? He's some kind of like evil, like eaten professor. You know, <laughs> I could see that it would have to be something yeah, like a like, like a corrupted like a, like an eccentric professor has been corrupted by some alien influence. Or yeah, something. Oh, that would be brilliant. Yeah, oh, but the I'm trick sure would, he would love to. The do trick it. would be you would have to let him <laughs> improvise most of his dialogue because yeah. the funniest thing about that guy, if those who are not familiar with Robin Hitchcock, is he's like the number one 
crazy stage banter guy because he <laughs> says all this stuff and they're always like these kind of non sequiturs yes. that don't seem to connect, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have a scene where he's doing a nonsensical lecture in front of yeah, absolutely. No, exactly, and it does, and you know, a lot of it does have to do. What was that? He'd have to be a biology professor. Yeah. He? Definitely <laughs> some kind of science. Yeah, <laughs> dirty science. Oh. He's talking about amphibians or yes. something. <laughs> well, in bugs, he's really into he's bugs. He's really into bugs. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, okay, so do I have to? I have to answer that question too. This is going to sound crazy because this person's kind of crazy, but somebody I, I actually like quite a bit. Kanye West, and I think he should literally play like the ruler of the universe. Like, like the, <laughs> like the, yeah. char- like the character, um, was it Warwick Davis or somebody? Who, oh, yeah, who the, played the, the king. Yeah, who played like the, the king of the, in the, episode. yeah, yeah. Right? right? Like that sort of role, only with all the glitz and glamour of like a. Kanye. I, 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 I hesitate would... to say this, but like maybe the Black Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, next segment, uh, we're going to play our song, uh, uh, Anywhere in the Universe. Next up, we have uh, special topics, Dalek, and uh, I understand, uh, uh, Kristen, you had something in mind? 
Yeah, so um, given that the holiday season is approaching, I have just been thinking a lot about the hilarity of modern Doctor Who Christmas episodes, um, mostly because I think a lot of them are good stories, but I think it's funny the way that they, you know, I mean, I think we all think sometimes it's pretty heavy-handed, mm-hmm. um, the way that they try and, like, um, integrate, you know, everything from, like, a Christmas tree that shoots, you know, whatever it was, razor blades, or I don't remember what uh, what it was, but needles, needles or something. So, oh, that's what it was, yeah. right? So I guess that my, my question is just... Um, what is your opinion of the way that they approach forcibly blending Christmas into uh, each of these uh, episodes? Since it's kind of more of a new series thing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like them better when Christmas is just sort of the backdrop and not like the heart of the episode. Like, okay, let's have the brass band of, of android Santas just <laughs> march down the street and shoot things out of their tubas. Uh, that was exactly. just very odd. Uh, right. Broadly speaking, I don't like it very much. Um, I thought the Narnia one was just dismal, the particularly low point in the new series. Uh, but having that. said that, the one with Michael Gammon that was based on uh, Christmas Carol, I, I thought it was pretty good. And, and that might just be because the story's kind of bulletproof. You know, it's yep. <clears throat> hard not to like a Christmas Carol. Um, and Michael Gammon's such a good actor. But yeah, for me, I'm with Kelvin. I like it when it's just sort of in the background. This Husbands of River Song one that was the most recent Christmas special didn't have a lot of particularly holiday-ish yeah. stuff to it, and I thought it was one of the best ones. I actually really liked the first Capaldi one, too, even though I thought I would hate it. It had actually Santa Claus appear in it. The previews made me go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. but, well, but it was Nick Frost as Santa yeah. Claus. <laughs> so, so that helps a lot, for sure. And Capaldi, I think his cynical, crotchety nature shoving him into a Christmas special has a little more extra juice to it for me personally because I I love his performance. Yes. (laughs) I I just like the the sort of cliffhanger teaser before the Christmas episode at like the end of the previous episode when like the TARDIS doors open up and you just see Peter Capaldi's face having this amazing like what in the hell kind of expression. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's Nick Frost as Santa. (laughs) And at that point it feels almost like they are satirizing their own Christmas specials. Yeah. That cliffhanger yeah. felt like, yeah, we know. <laughs> and that's why, like, I kind of feel like every one they've done in the last few years, especially, has been an attempt to apologize for like the first one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sort of say like, okay, no, 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 no. Yeah, we did some, we did some super heavy-handed shit in the first couple, and <laughs> yeah, like now we're just gonna like admit that it's like a joke. Yeah, I've run into so many people who say that that for the Christmas Invasion is their favorite Christmas episode because it's kind of overweighted by also being the first Tenth Doctor episode. Yeah, and I think that's why people like it more than other ones. But I, you know, I always found it pretty silly. I think there's a cultural gap there too because in England most successful shows have these Christmas specials and they're traditionally very light and for old school American Doctor Who fans it seems out of nowhere and it seems absurd that every year the Doctor with the entire universe to travel around and make sure that he stops and has a Christmas celebration you know (laughs) uh, but I think it's one of those things that a British audience is more likely to go well yeah that's just television you know well that you know that 11th Doctor thing of like I'm just going to swoop into these ordinary people's lives and show my absolute utter ignorance of how anyone lives or or (laughs) basic manners or anything (laughs) so what do people think of this new Christmas special having just seen like capsule stuff the superhero one totally nerd speculation does that sound uh, i've been promising? keeping myself spoiler free so yeah i knew it was a thing i haven't seen like teaser trailers or anything for it but um it's definitely kind of where pop culture is right now doctor who riffs on also throughout the entire history a lot of these pop culture yeah. uh tropes but they haven't done can I, th- I can't think the of any other superhero. Yeah, the mind robber is the only one I can yeah. think of. Although, uh, maybe in a, in a bent kind of way, um, Resurrection of the Daleks, that's the sixth Doctor one. No, it's Revelation. Revelation, uh, with the, the Knight of Omicron in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the Squire. Yeah, because yeah. he's, you know, supposed Orsini. to be like... Yeah, because he's supposed to be this, like, insanely awesome warrior guy, and he's just kind of in this story. So you're saying that's kind of comic booky? Well, yeah, you know, you could see him as a superhero of sorts, I would say. He's like a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what do you think? Are we looking forward to it? Or uh, is it... I haven't seen anything except the little teaser either, so I know nothing about it, but our... I believe we both share big love for Peter Capaldi in general. So the sooner oh, he can get back on screen, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. We all agree. <laughs> I want to get drunk with that guy yeah. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just want the show back. It seems like it's been forever. A long time. Yeah. yeah. And the the name? What is the name? It's the Return of Doctor Mysterio. Doctor Mysterio. I mean, that I can get on board. I thought I read somewhere that that's the name of Doctor Who when it's like translated from Mexico that they call it Doctor really? Mysterio. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. First that's of all, awesome. First of all, if that's true, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't care. I guess it does sound like a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> yeah, now now I've got this whole comedy video running in my head of like Mexican Doctor yeah. Who. We've, like, just, being, like, we've just made a whole new Christmas special. We are going to be really disappointed. <laughs> Mexican Doctor Who. It's like the Italian uh, Spider-Man. Like the Italian Spider-Man, yeah. Okay, so now this segment is the randomizer. <laughs> And we're gonna talk about my all-time favorite Doctor Who episode, Caves of Androzani. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Quick. Yes. No, again, I I, I feel like it's all like, um, when I went to revisit it the other day, and I read the description, this this is why I felt stupid maybe for suggesting it, because I read the description that's on iTunes, and it's like, universally heralded as possibly the best episode ever. So I was like, oh, you know, like, so I wasn't, wasn't exactly digging deep. But to no. me, it was huge. I thought it was amazing. And yeah, important. I, I don't, how do you even talk about Case of Androzani? Uh, yeah, my notes are kind of sparse. They're it's... mostly like, oh, hey, this actor is also in this other thing. Um, <laughs> what, what actors were in other things? Oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> so Stotes, uh, yeah. Stotesy, uh, who I always love, is Morris Rovas. Maurice Rovas, I'm not sure quite how to pronounce his name. He also played Stephen Dedalus in the 1967 film adaptation of James Joyce's Ulysses. <laughs> All right. Which you and I watched uh, not that long ago, Kelsey. So I don't... I, wow, I can't yeah, even... Stotzi, yeah, when you say, geez, when you wow. say his character was called Stephen Dedalus, does that mean this was a sort of a modernized take on oh. Ulysses? <laughs> Well, the character in the book is called Stephen Dedalus. Oh. He's also the same character from Joyce's portrait of the artist as a young man. Oh, because so, Ulysses is a sequel to that. Oh book. yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. yes, it is. Uh, but Daedalus and all the uh, artificer building the labyrinth stuff like that's all plays in the background. Of yeah. Right. But you'll have to listen to our James Joyce podcast to get more information. <laughs> about that. Um, uh, I also want to point out that Salatine, uh, who's just a terrific actor, I that's Robert Glenister, yep. um, who is in MI5, uh, known as Spooks in the UK. And uh, he's also Philip Glenister's big brother. Philip Glenister being the guy from Life on Mars, who mm-hmm. isn't John oh. Sim, oh. the the tough cop. He also has a great role in Hustle. The interrelatedness of British television actors is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. can spot them everywhere. Yeah. We should also point out that David Neal, who plays the president, sounds exactly like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife was like, "They got Patrick Stewart in here," and then she looked and. That's not him. Yeah, that guy's great. He probably got a lot of work at that time. The guy who sounds like Patrick Stewart, but you didn't have to pay him like Patrick Stewart. That's right. (laughs) But yeah, but how do we talk about it? We've covered the actor trivia. It's written by Robert Holmes. Yep, uh, 1984. This is Robert Holmes in deeply cynical mode. Good grief, yes. Uh, It's only topped, uh, to my knowledge, by the the Blake 7 episode he wrote three years earlier, uh, Orbit, where Avon is unambiguously prepared to murder Villa to save his own skin, and that's just like as yep. dark as he gets. But this is very close. And oh, this, yeah. If I can be autobiographical for a moment, this almost turned me off of Doctor Who back in the day, because I first saw it, it was airing on PBS, uh, probably early high school or, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, somewhere in that, and it was just so bleak. Every single person, except the two women, die. Every single person you see on screen dies, including the Doctor. And I'm just like, between this and Vengeance, and Ver- vengeance on Veros, I'm like, oh my, I just don't need to deal with this right now. And so it took me years to come back to it and actually appreciate it for what it was. It's the, it's one of the darkest Doctor Who stories I can think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's grim. Everyone's awful in it. I mean, they're all like really scary, terrible people. Uh, everyone dies. The doctor winds up regenerating basically by just kind of being an everyday klutz. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, I accidentally stepped in this alien goop. Oh, well. You know. Um... But that, that's what's so great about it is he yeah. doesn't die saving the universe. Yeah. He actually has no real interest in helping anyone on either side. Mm-hmm. 
he weirdly never even has an, a confrontation with who is arguably the main villain of the piece, even though everyone's yeah. kind of despicable, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, Morgus is the villain. Yeah. And he has some little exchange over the video screen with him when he's being held captive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> the Fifth Doctor is written particularly sharp yeah. and, a little, and snarkier and mm -hmm. a little nastier than usual. I, uh, Based on what I know of Robert Holmes, I, I don't think he would have enjoyed the 80s too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, that's clearly coming out here. I mean, it's, you know... Corporate overreach villain, gun runners. But what's, what's interesting is his cynicism spreads to everybody because yeah. the, the politicians are corrupt, the mm -hmm. army's corrupt. <laughs> everybody is is pretty much uh, rotten, except for maybe Salatine. We don't get to see well, much of him, or does he do something terrible? Although he too? does, he does laugh when he realizes that <laughs> the doctor's gonna die. He grabs Perry to use her as a shield. Oh, when the android is Never mind, to... they're all jerks. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it, it, it might just be the atmosphere these days, but it's it almost, watching it this morning, it struck me as almost a study in toxic masculinity. Perry's the, almost the only woman on the show, except for Timon, uh, and she's constantly abused, manhandled, kidnapped, and leered over by all the men, and the doctor's the only person who cares about her at all. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, ugh, no wonder it's it feels so ugly. It, yeah, did, it did kind of yeah. set this weird pattern of disfigured villain hitting on Perry in the creepiest goddamn way possible. <laughs> it's like standing at the bus stop on any yeah. given day, really. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Sheriff's Jack comes up. <laughs> and he's like, do you have a cigarette, you jackanapes? <laughs> Beauty. <laughs> Someone just walks up to you in a mask and just says, Beauty. <laughs> That's just convergence. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, dear God. Uh, but... but yeah, the guy who plays Shara's Jack is just kind of amazing. I mean, I don't know if they, they gave him some kind of weird amphetamine shot before. He's a ballet dancer. So he gets... Oh, interesting. Oh, really? Christopher Gable. Yeah. That's why he was all like... Wow. Dancer, so choreographer, like... and actor. You know? Yeah, because I noticed this too. All the physical stuff in here, compared to most Doctor Who, I wouldn't call it like carefully choreographed, but the actors seem far more committed. Like when Shara's Jack and the general are grappling for their life, it feels life and death. Yeah, that one only, I felt like they, I, they wanted to kill each other. I feel like we can all agree that the monster, though, it was is cheesy, right? Super it's gratuitous. Like one of the cheesier. It is a shame. It just kind of lumbers around. I think he's like, adorable. It's a very. <laughs> yeah. I love it. He stands out in this because it is a, has such a gritty tone, and the yeah. direction is so stylized. And uh, Graham Harper does so much to cover up shortcomings, except for that monster. He's well, sort of a, stuck with him. There was a whole bunch of stuff. I remember when it came out. It was like the first time they had ever even used like like crossfade transitions and stuff mm -hmm. um it was just shot in a totally different way than it had yeah. ever been shot before and like sort of gray grim um you know mm -hmm. which is so funny because that it, it ends with um colin baker and then the next episode is like gaudy and like oh, yeah. just immediately like completely crazy right colorful and like kind of back to the way that it had been or whatever and it seems like a lot of the stuff is dark in the script and that Graham Harper really just dug into it mm -hmm. he must have really encouraged the mm -hmm. actors to go all the way because everyone plays with such brutal relish they're bad guys yeah no one backs I, down from it like the scene mm -hmm. where Stotts is trying to get the poison capsule yeah, yeah. His, mouth, in his mouth and it's <laughs> echoing through the yeah. <laughs> through the pits and it's like that wow, was always one of my tense. favorite my favorite bits it well I also so, like it so good yeah at the end like the the final episode when uh, Stotts makes the deal with Morgus or whatever and then just sort of has a thought, like turns around, goes back, shoots his two <laughs> former partners. And yeah, yeah. It's like the, so the, cold. The, that's actually funny. There's a whole bunch of scenes in that thing where there's just like totally casual disrespect for life, right? So the one thing is like when they've realized they've the army realizes they've executed the androids, and he goes, uh, "Only Ensign Cass here <laughs> oversaw what really happened." And so then he just goes, you know, then the android says. He could be sent on a deep penetration mission where few ever return, right? Or then there's the thing where Morgus pushes the president down the elevator shaft, and then he's explaining it to his assistant, and then he's like, at the end, as she's walking out, he goes, "Oh, by the way, have the lift engineer shot," and she's like, "Yes, sir," right? Like you know, so like there's tons, like in almost every every ten minutes, there's yeah. some kind of thing where it's like, oh. That person's in my way. Like, I'm just going to mow them down. Or it's just, like, really unusually brutal for Doctor. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's intentional on Holmes' part. He wanted to let you know that 
the fifth doctor ended up in a world where there isn't a good side to take. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way you can explain him not taking a side because it, it's yeah. so unlike Like, he the literally doctor. just kind of stumbles onto yeah. Andrazani Minor. And is that's just... how he, he stumbles across everything that way, but he usually finds a side. And he to literally fight just for. sees, oh, these tire tracks look interesting. Yeah. I'll just yeah. follow them. Oh, well, that's the end of my life. That's the end of everyone on this planet. Yeah, why, why is he there in the first place? There's no I mean, explanation. You could yeah. almost that's argue the that thing is. the only reason people die is because the doctor showed up. Well, yeah, <laughs> bleak. It's, it is bleak. But I, the, the other thing I always love about um, Holmes' stuff, always did love, is because of how quickly he establishes his own mythology within this thing. Mm-hmm. So all of his episodes have um, characters that use slang, right? Like he was the first one to like realize that like people from other planets wouldn't call Earth the Earth, right? Yeah. And so like throughout every episode, he is written. It was called what? He had a name for like Earth people. Terran, Tellurian, Tellurian is what the aliens in, always uh, call the two doctors. Yeah, I think he's there. and like yeah. and that went way back to like the '60s or yeah. whenever he started writing in the '70s and stuff. So the fact that he just was able to like with a couple scenes quickly establish this thing of like mm-hmm. you've got this one corporate guy in power, you realize he's playing both sides, mm-hmm. um, he's funding the gun runners, and meanwhile, you know, totally screwing with like the the geopolitical thing and and he just gets it done so fast and he brilliantly chose something that you can believe would send a whole uh, society into a downward spiral as something that could make you live forever or stay stay young Mm -hmm. that that would be a temptation for the strongest society to not turn into just bastards I also kind of love that one odd scene where Morgus just suddenly does takes to the camera for no reason for his internal monologue that's so that was out like, of left field. That was uh, the only thing that actually, the first time I saw it, I had a problem with. Like, yeah. I was like, that was weird. Yeah, the um, lava monster stands out, even though it's very typical for Doctor <laughs> Who. Everything else is so well done. And that, while I, I, I the applaud camera. the experiment, but mm-hmm. it, it does stand out. Yeah. Um, it I think from what seems... I heard, that was just how the actor interpreted the script and the director was just kind of went with it. Really? Like, like, like. Apparently, that wasn't supposed to be an aside or an internal monologue or whatever. He, he it was like literally part of his dialogue. Yeah, it didn't feel. It felt like he could have just continued talking. When yeah, he turned around. Yeah, you know, and I mean, maybe he was stretching his. But neck. he had. But he was <laughs> like, I got to. I feel like it was better. It was better than it would have been better, or it was better than the alternative of like him standing there and having like voiceover in yeah. his head going, mm-hmm. oh, I God. should have killed that guy or whatever. <laughs> like that kind of stuff is David Lynch's Dune all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like too many, too many, exactly too many, uh, too many thoughts, but. So last thing I'll say about it though is that was the reason why I thought was one of the reasons why I thought it would make an amazing play because in theater it's totally normal for like a character to stop and like break the fourth wall and address the audience and so even though that hadn't been done on the show if it was a stage show that character would be perfect because you could listen to um, his inner dialogue the whole time right mm-hmm. and you could probably do that with the jet character too in a way and like yeah. have it be this like hey, here's two people who are completely insane and they used to be friends and their rivalry is basically going to bring down all of civilization, right? It's just, it's a cool, I don't know. So anyway, it's just like, it's an epic story that, um, but I felt like it's one of those ones where because it all takes place in those caves, mm-hmm. you could actually do it on a on a small stage, okay. right? Like you, with a, just a couple different sets. So, anyway. And a smoke machine? Yeah, a couple yeah. different sets, a smoke machine, and, <laughs> and a, a lava monster. A lava monster, cheesy, cheesy lava lava monster would look great on a stage. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. This does have maybe my very favorite cliffhanger in Doctor Who is the end of episode three mm-hmm. when uh, the fifth Doctor's crashing that ship. And he's oh, just yeah. like, everybody can just F off. I'm yeah. crashing this ship. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm probably going right. to die anyway. And I think. Peter Davison performs it so well, and it's the fact that it's this version of the Doctor who's usually so vulnerable, and to see him just flip everybody off and just be this sort of Jack Bauer-esque take on the Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So, Harper, he's directed some new series stuff too, right? But I don't remember which ones. I can't either. They don't stand out in the way these classic series ones do, visually. We mentioned him... A few episodes ago, when we talked about Enemy of the Bane, the Sarah Jane Adventures, but oh, he also okay. directed um, 
Army of Ghosts, Doomsday, Doomsday, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, 42, Utopia, Time Crash, Planet of the Ud, Unicorn and the Wasp, Turn Left, Stolen Earth, and Journey's End, and The Waters of Mars. Okay, oh, yeah. All ten. Waters of Mars. All yeah, that's, that's an odd assortment of ones I liked and ones I really didn't mm-hmm. like. <laughs> and, and from yeah. the old series, he directed Revelation of the Daleks as well, oh, one yeah. of Josh's favorites. Oh, mm-hmm. That's one of my. That is also one of my favorites. Yes. Also, and you, it, is it, that also a Robert Holmes scripted thing? Um, it's Eric Sayward doing an homage to Robert okay. Holmes. He's yeah, doing yeah. his best Robert Holmes impersonation <laughs> when he writes that script. Because I think also everybody, almost everyone dies. I think yeah. one or two more people survive in that than in. Yeah. Case. That's the one with Alexi Sales mm-hmm. as the yeah, crazy DJ. like <laughs> DJ or whatever. Yes. In it. I love that Alexi Sales was in a Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> that was so it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a thumbprint on a lot of odd things, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes, he does. I also really love the regeneration itself. In the hands of a good director, it reminds me how much I dislike the new series regenerations. Yeah. There's something about seeing your hero vulnerable and on the floor. I'm never on board with this Highlander head exploding yeah. <laughs> new series regenerations because it just, it, it, I like that moment of weakness and I like yeah. that it mirrors actual death. Mm-hmm. not a bodily explosion. Yeah. That's true, because they all used to always be... Well, part of it, though, is, is because special effects-wise, you just yeah. couldn't do it any other way. But you had to have in, the bodies lying on the ground. In this generation, they used, they used sound really well, and the, yeah. it was 80s visuals on the screen, but they had the big kind of explosion noise. Yeah. And the contrast to previous regenerations when Colin Baker sits up. I mean, pretend you don't know the twin dilemma's coming, but that's (laughs) that's a really intriguing cut from dead Peter Davis into this just completely alert. Doesn't seem to be spaced out like other doctors are post-regenerations. I always kind of thought regenerations should be treated like, no, you are are literally dying here. Yeah. Mm Cheery! Okay, yep. <laughs> So I was looking up uh, entertaining Sheriff's Jack quotations while we were talking. <laughs> and, That's uh, all this dialogue. Is I, it? it really is. Everything out of his mouth is terrific. Uh, but I was struck by Morgus. Why I ever trusted that fessonine bag of slime. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so I didn't know that what up. that word was. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to look it up too. Uh, uh, Ribald songs sung at rustic weddings. <laughs> Whoa. So I think that Morgus had a career as a dirty song lyricist. As a dirty songwriter. In Italy at some point. Yeah, I think maybe Robert Robert Holmes was looking for a different word there. I I don't know what he was looking for. (laughs) Or or, or, this was before the internet. He probably thought, I'm going to put some word in here. No one will ever know what it is. I don't know if... if, uh, You know, Cher is Jack particularly is a a figure of... um, Shall we say sexual morality? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I would say was, something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Well, this makes a little more sense. I'm finding an, uh, as an adjective, it can also... Oh. Scurrilous, licentious, and obscene. Okay. So that's that, it's yes. derived so that from is, the song. Yeah. yeah. It's the character of the songs. Okay. Although that is something to include in your musical. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the sort of <laughs> body wedding song. I think yeah, you exactly. could do that with Morgus gyrating. Every time Morgus sings, it should be like an old antique Italian I, wedding song. I, I will <laughs> say that there's one line of dialogue when he is trying to describe his old life versus his new life. Mm-hmm. And when he says... Even I can't bear to see or touch myself. I'm always like, what does touch yeah. myself mean in this in this context? Like, that's an interesting choice of words. Yes, it is. Yeah. So he like doesn't bathe or something. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't... Oh, I don't even want to think about that inside that. Well, that vinyl leathers. outfit. Yeah. Oh. Maybe this is more common knowledge than I realize, but we haven't mentioned that the original choice to play Sheriff's Jack was David Bowie. Really? Yes. And apparently there was some... I, I don't know how I valid, I know how much progress was made on this. He was on the Serious Moonlight Tour. He was on the Serious Moonlight Tour and they couldn't get him, but like they were trying oh to get David Bowie. How crazy would that have been? That would have been cool. Apparently there was some talk of getting Mick Jagger too, but I think uh, Bowie, they actually talked to his agent. Yeah. I could not imagine Mick Jagger <laughs> prancing. However, <laughs> it'd be a different Sheriff's Jack. It would be a very different. However, doing that rooster thing. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh god. You've seen the um, the Hodorowsky Dune documentary though, right? Yeah. About mm-hmm. his yeah, we... unmade Dune when he talks about getting Mick Jagger to play. Um, what part was he uh, getting him to play? And Salvador Dali was going to be the, the emperor, emperor yeah. and like oh, he had an amazing yeah. cast for that thing. It was so crazy. Yeah, uh, somebody in my been. Facebook feed uh, after discussing that movie said something like, 
I think I enjoyed Yodorowsky's Dune more than I would have enjoyed Yodorowsky's Dune. <laughs> Which I think is right. Like, it yeah. sounds like a terrific idea. Yeah. That's just t- been... totally bananas would oh, never yeah. have worked. Oh, it yeah. would have been yeah. insane, but... Oh, they were going to get Mick Jagger as Fade Ralph, though. So. We're, we're, we're going to have some other rock singer to play Fade. Yeah, exactly. Instead, mm-hmm. you got Sting, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. that the part that Sting yeah, played? Yeah, the Sting's in the part, yeah. Movie? Oh, so terrible. I, I remember, sorry, I know we're, we've digressed on something. <laughs> no, we I never know, digress but, on but a podcast, I do, But I do remember because he delivers one of the most wooden piece lines of dialogue I ever heard in any movie. I think it's actually number two most wooden line ever in any movie. When He's, he's the one that says, I see... An Atreides that I want to kill. That was Sting's big line in that movie. And he said it almost exactly like that, if I remember. Like, yeah, well, just that super, could have, Lynch could have just insisted yeah. he yeah. deliver it that just way. That it. sounds yeah. very... But then again, <laughs> I, so I, I don't know how many um, uh, girl geeks I've met who, who, you know, like... Well, you know, Sting has this nude scene in Dune. Oh, oh yeah. And, like... You hear the jaws hitting the floor, like, you know, audibly. And they they, literally watch the whole movie just for that scene when he's coming out of the steam bath or whatever the hell is going on. But yeah, it was a formative experience for a fair number of women, I know. (laughs) Dan and David Bowie in Labyrinth. Yeah. The one I hear a lot. Yeah. 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 That finally explains women. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for that. So any final thoughts on Gabe's Van Rizani? <laughs> there wasn't any nude scenes. <laughs> there wasn't. No, no. Jack's computer display looks like he's playing Dig Dug. Yes. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, we, there's that point at which he uses it to explain where the mother bat is, and there's no way you could possibly look at that <laughs> dot and figure out, oh yeah, I know exactly where that is. Right there? <laughs> it doesn't look like the most complicated map of the mines like well you just turn right here yeah that is that is yeah. so great he's like boasting i know everything they're doing i know like he's just talking about it's this like, thing yeah looks and, like and a, it's like it'll take them five years like to t- search these five tunnels it really <laughs> does it, 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 it absolutely looks like a portal. Well, that is our podcast for today. I would like to thank Christian and Janie. Thank you very much. We had a thank blast. You. Uh, thank you for bringing, bringing the music and the nostalgia. We are going to do a quick randomizer, though, before we go, so we can decide what episode of Doctor Who we'll be talking about next time. Pat? Planet of the Spiders. Ooh. Oh! Another death of the Doctor wow. story. Wow. Yeah. Regeneration on regeneration. Yes. I love that one, too. Can I come back? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put the pressure on you right now. Okay. You can come back, but it has to be with a completed rock opera. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the pressure on him. I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably get that on stage somewhere. Oh, yeah. Think of Bryan Lake Bowl. Bryan Lake Bowl. It's a perfect Minnesota Fringe Actually, that was, one of the, that was one of the places where I thought about doing it, because yeah. I think BLB, because they have a projection screen, yeah. as one of the options was like, okay, could you do it, again, with like projections of the actual episode, and then a band kind of like just playing in front, right? And show snippets. You get into rights issues, I guess, with that, but... Oh. Um, but yeah, could be done. Yeah, could be done. Well, I'm sure that we would lend any assistance necessary. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> oh, we're making plans and deals in the podcast now. Need Loretto's <laughs> and books. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Joshua. I'm Pat. And I'm Kelvin. We're saying. Get off my will. The segment's called what again? Uh, the randomizer. And then I'm going to make a stupid noise when you say that. Okay. But just carry on. <laughs> Don't take it as a personal insult. He's not, <laughs> he's not making fun of you. Okay. <laughs> we stopped <laughs> stop dropping in the weird boingy sound effect. Yeah, because, yeah. because Pat liked it so much. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Small pleasures to take away from Pat. <laughs> I remember the randomizer now. That was the key to time. Key to time. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they were avoiding. Um, See, I. West. The stuff is <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. It's all it's all. Doctor buried. Who, I'm gonna let you finish. No, nope. <laughs> it's, it's all buried back there somewhere.